Ephesians 1, 11 through 14. Hear now God's word. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. That we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. And thus far the reading of God's word and all God's people said. Amen. You may be seated. Everywhere we look, if we look out or look in, everything that is wrong in the world, everything that's wrong in your life, I mean every single problem is due to sin. And I'm, I'm referring, of course, to uh, anything that refuses to obey God in any way, either not doing what he says or refusing to do what he says. As the Catechism says, sin is any lack of conformity unto or transgression of the law of God. When we and others disobey God, it separates us from God, and it also separates us from others. Isaiah says, but your iniquities have separated you from your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you. Sin affects everything, all the time. Everything, all the time. When we were first married, uh, we lived in an apartment, uh, and we had a small grease fire. Uh, pan had been left on the stove, and Marinelle came into the kitchen, and it was on fire. And she wisely reached for the fire extinguisher that was in the apartment and uh, unloaded it on the pan. And I mean unloaded it. What we weren't thinking about was the fact that the central air was on and it picked up all that powder and distributed it throughout the entire apartment. In fact, there was not anything that was not tainted by that powder, this artificial snow. It looked, I came in and it looked like a blizzard had hit the apartment. Well, sin is like that pervasive powder. It is impossible to overstate the seriousness of sin and its power, though we work very hard to minimize it, particularly in ourselves. We're pretty good at seeing it in others, but really not that good at seeing it in ourselves. But the wages of sin is death, which is our ultimate problem and which is the ultimate separation. The problem is comprehensive, and therefore, the solution must be comprehensive. And thankfully, God is reconciling the world to himself with his infinite, all-wise plan. All the conflict, all the war, all the turmoil in the, in the world and in your family and in your personal life, finds remedy in the gospel of Jesus Christ. In Colossians, Paul writes in a similar way that he does here in Ephesians 1. Colossians 1, 19-23, For it pleased the Father 
that in him, that is in Christ, all the fullness should dwell, and by him to reconcile all things to himself. By him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. And you, you who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight, if indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. You hear the comprehensive nature of this? You hear the personal nature of this? It's not just the world in a general sense. It's about you. You have these problems. You need this gospel. You need the work of Jesus Christ. And so God first revealed Himself to Abraham and to the descendants of Abraham. This was the beginning, not the end. Initially, however, as God revealed himself to Abraham, it emphasized the division between the people of God and those who were outside the covenant, Jews and Gentiles, the children of God and what the Bible calls the strangers, the aliens, those who were near as well as those who were far off, these two groups of people. Nevertheless, it was God's plan, and it was God's plan from the beginning to eventually bring His reconciling salvation to the whole world, to Jews and to Gentiles. So when God made promises to Abraham and his descendants, He also included in that promise the rest of the world. And I will make your descendants multiply as the stars of heaven. I will... Give, them, give to your descendants all the lands, and in your seed all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. So the point here is that God's plan from the beginning, his plan of salvation, included the world, included all kinds of people. Now instead of being humbled by God's grace toward them, many... Jews became proud and arrogant. They despised the Gentile dogs. Unless we look down upon the proud Jews, we must be quick to confess that we're prone to the same kind of sinful pride. You think you're better than somebody sometimes. Sometimes you think you're better than this group of people. Yet God's Word makes it clear that every last one of us were dead in our trespasses and sins, and that in us is no good thing. As Isaiah puts it, we are all like an unclean thing, and all of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. Or as Paul declares, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good. No, not one. At the heart of it, we are all like the Pharisee who stood and prayed, 
He thus, it says he thus prayed with himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. That's in our hearts. The Apostle Paul himself was thoroughly caught up in this way of thinking. He hate, who hated the Gentiles more than Paul? Who took more pride in his race and in his position than Paul? Philippians 3, I also might have confidence in the flesh. If anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews. Concerning the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning righteousness which is in the law, blameless. Little did he know what God was about to do to him and for him. It was all part of God's plan that he had promised Abraham. Paul's plans were about to be abruptly changed on his way to Damascus to execute his own hateful plan. In this passage, Paul alludes to God's big plan to adopt and to reunite the world in Christ. Verse 11, In Him also we have obtained an inheritance being predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will. All those in Christ are adopted and have obtained an inheritance. All the children then are equals in this regard. In verses 12 and 13, Paul refers to we who first trusted in Christ, and then he says, in Him you also trusted. We and you. We refers to the Jews. You refers to the Gentiles. The Ephesians were Gentile Christians. We who first trusted in Christ emphasizes the fact that chronologically Jews believed in Christ first, then the Gentiles followed. Jesus told his disciples that they were, when they were assembled on the day of Pentecost, you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem. That's where the Jews were, in Judea, Samaria, and then to the uttermost parts of the earth. And so the apostle emphasized the distinction, we Jews, you Gentiles, because of this astounding fact that they have now been brought together. They have been made one in Christ. So when you look out, when you see people different than you, different color, different ethnicity, different socioeconomic level, different backgrounds, they've committed all kinds of sins. That's why Paul later will say, such were some of you. But God's done something to you. Well, if he's done it to you, why can't he do it for them? That's what changes. That's what brings us together as I look at this room That's true of every person sitting here. If you're a believer, God has done something in your life to get rid of those things that separate. This is not only the theme of the epistle to the Ephesians, it is the theme of the whole New Testament. Paul repeats it many times in chapter 2. In the third chapter, he says this of Ephesians, For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus, For you Gentiles, 
If indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which was given to me for you, how that by revelation he made known to me the mystery, uh, as I have briefly written already, by which you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, it has now been revealed by the Spirit to, to his holy apostles and prophets that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ through the gospel. Paul, Paul, it's amazing, we can read this and it's kind of boring sometimes. And Paul's just like, he's amazed. He's written this in lots of other epistles and every time he, he ends up kind of repeating himself. He gets excited about what he's talking about. He never ceases to be amazed and pleased at this. So in the fourth chapter, he says the same thing again. And in Romans 11:13, he is clearly proud of his ministry to the Gentiles. He says, "For I speak to you Gentiles, inasmuch as I am an apostle of the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry." God had radically changed his view of the Gentiles. And now he's excited about it. God's great plan is already in operation. Paul's part of it. And now he is excited that they, the Ephesians, are part of it as well. And so he begins his epistle to the Romans on the same note. Through him we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all the nations for his name. This is not some kind of an exclusive club. Our goal is to reach out and be inclusive. But to be inclusive on God's terms, you see, we're not just opening a hospital for the sick, we're opening a hospital to cure the sick. You say, well, you're against the sick because you, you, condemn, their, you condemn their sickness. You, you tell them they're sick and that makes them feel bad. Just open your doors and let them come in and stop talking to them about their sickness, their sin. But their sin's the problem. Their sin is the sickness. They need the remedy. They need forgiveness. They need washing and cleansing and being made whole so that they can know the joy of what it is to be forgiven. To be relieved of fear and bitterness and anger and discontent. To be set free. You shall know the truth, Jesus said, and the truth will make you free. So again, in Romans, through him we receive this, this apostleship to the Gentiles. Again, he says in Romans 10:12, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord uh, over all is rich to all who call upon him. Again, in the epistle to the Galatians, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. There is the unity. And if... You are in Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. You're children of God. So, for example, while we are loyal American citizens, we talked about this last week on Memorial Day, and Paul was a loyal Roman citizen. Our first loyalty is as citizens of the kingdom of God. That's what unites us worldwide And since we seem to live in a day of identity politics, let me say that we must first 
identify as Christians, along with all the other Christians in the world. And our other identities must be much further down the list. Our race, our ethnicity, our country, our state, our football team needs to be much further down the list. Who are you? I'm a child of God. Who are you? Me too. Hello, brother. You may need a translator to be able to say that. Being the spiritual seed of Abraham and Christ is what counts in God's sight. There is a new nation consisting of God's people. God's purpose was to use the Jews temporarily, but now he has something bigger and greater, including both Jews and Gentiles. So how has God brought it all to pass? How, how is the conflict of the world being brought to peace? God's way of restoring harmony and unity is to produce Christians, and therefore Paul tells us certain things about the Christian Paul gives us a beautiful picture of Christianity, and Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones summarizes it with five points, and I want to expand upon these five this morning if we get to all of them. We'll see how far we go. First, we're told, we're told uh, what makes us Christians is that we are in Christ. There is no hope of unity apart from this. There will never be true unity among men until men are Christians. There is no conceivable lasting unity and harmony. No hope of restoration. You see, if it's every man for himself, if everybody determines good and evil for themselves, then there is no possibility of unity. No hope of restoration to which God originally made us accept as men or made Christians And we are Christians only as we are in Christ. Being born in a particular nation or family might offer certain advantages. In fact, Paul says so. To be born into a Jewish family with the Bible. To be born into a Christian family. What advantage is that? Much in every way. First, you've been given the oracles of God. You have the Word of God. Each person, then, must be in Christ. We are reconciled by this new relationship with Him, and all the conflicts stem from broken relationships due to sin. That's the problem at your house, and that's the problem in your neighborhood, and in our town, and in our country, and in our world. And I don't think you have to have some secret knowledge to figure that out. It's pretty obvious. There is no better picture of this than that of the Jews and the Gentiles. They, you had the insiders who thought, well, we have the law of God, but of course they didn't keep it. And then you had the outsiders, those Gentiles, those dogs. Note the Greeks had their own version of thinking more highly of themselves than they should have. You know, if you look at almost any group of people anywhere in the world, you'll find that there's some other group of people they look at as inferior, as the dogs. Makes them feel better. That was really the genesis of racism in the South. 
and throughout the rest of the country, not just the South. That race of people is inferior to us because they're not us. We have the power to, to keep them in that position. And that's wickedness, and that's sin, and that's wrong. But that's true throughout the world. It's not just unique in that spot. It's common to humanity. There was a wall of division between Jew and Gentile, and we have iron curtains and bamboo curtains, and we have the old Jim Crow laws. Both sides build and repair the walls from their side. It only works when people are genuinely together in Christ. This was the only way Jews and Gentiles could be reconciled. There was no lasting political solution. It takes a new man and a new world. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed us to the word of reconciliation. That's why we, sitting here in little old Nacogdoches, can write checks and put it in the offering plate or put it in our budget and send money to some Russians on the other side of the world, who then get on an airplane and fly to the middle of Uzbekistan and preach the gospel and see lives transformed and we get the pictures back and we look at those pictures and say, those are my brothers and sisters. That's how we get peace. One person at a time. That's the only way. Second, There are certain things that are true of us as Christians because we're in Christ. Paul tells us that we are, that they are, of what they are. In him we also have obtained an inheritance. You see, we're joint heirs. We are brothers and sisters, members of the same family, children of God. God takes this disparate, divided group of fallen humanity and transforms them. Ephesians 2, 19-22, Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, that's the Bible, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together, there's unity, grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together to be the dwelling place of God. You see, we're a new nation we're in the same family. And Paul writes in Romans 8:17 and says, And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and join heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with Him, that we may also be glorified together. The Christian who realizes he or she is a joint heir of Christ, listen, cannot any longer be discontent. Are you discontent? then you've forgotten something. You've forgotten that you are a joint heir in Christ. Now this isn't just philosophy here, folks. This is real. When we become content, guess what happens in our house? All the conflict goes away. It just vanishes. 
our selfishness disappears. And it's always a two-way street. The Bible's written in that way. The inspiration for the hymn, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus, by composer Helen Lemuel, uh, was originally titled The Heavenly Vision, and it came from the writings of the author and artist Lilius Trotter. Uh, the St. John's uh, joined Marinelle and I to watch a documentary on her life this past week that George Grant had recommended, and I'd commend to you as well. She was a, uh, many thought, perhaps the greatest, potentially the greatest artist of her day, but she went to the mission field instead of pursuing that. She was a brilliant artist whose talent opened doors to wealth and influence. Her other love was missions, and after struggling in prayer for two years, Trotter came to the conclusion that she was called to the mission field, and she subsequently served 38 years as a missionary to the Muslims of Algeria. The following is an excerpt from her tract, Which Passion Will Prevail? Never has it been so easy to live in half a dozen harmless worlds at once. Art, music, social science, games, motoring, the following of some profession and so on, and between them we run the risk of drifting about. The good hiding the best. It is easy to find out whether our lives are focused and if so, where the focus lies. Where do our thoughts settle when the consciousness comes back in the morning? Where do they swing back when the pressure is off during the day? Dare to have it out with God and ask Him to show you whether or not all is focused on Christ and His glory. Turn your soul's vision to Jesus and look and look at Him. And a strange dimness will come over all that is part, all that is apart from him. And thus the words of the hymn, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Contentment is a hard thing to obtain. We're selfish by nature. We're um, grasping for more. We're covetous. We look at what other people have and we're envious of those things. And we can be surrounded as we are with the blessings of God in Christ. And that is old. And that's boring. And that's not interesting anymore. And I want to ask you, call you, calling myself, to look at this in a fresh way. To see deeper. To remember. To recall. And I'm going to stop here today. I've got a whole bunch more here, but I think it's a good spot to stop. Just because I think it's a good point. For I don't want this to get lost. Sometimes I listen to sermons and I think there was two good sermons there. And I lost the point of the first one while the second one was being made. So let's, uh, let me just mark this and we will.
skip the rest of this next time. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your eternal plan to rescue us. That Your plan included us and adopted us and made us heirs, giving us an inheritance in Christ. We delight to see how You take broken and divided people and make them brothers and sisters, uniting them in communion with You and with one another. We do praise you for sending us the word of the truth, the the word of truth, the gospel, and for your Holy Spirit who made that word effectual to us. And we praise you for opening our eyes and our ears and our hearts to receive, perceive, and desire the gospel of salvation. Help us, Lord, to not only be content, but overwhelmed with the gifts that you've given us with our families, with our church, with the places where we live, the things we enjoy, all of which remind us that for Christ's sake, you have shown us kindness. Help us to share that kindness with others and to be eager to do so, that they might know that joy, that contentment that comes from being in Christ. Help us now, Lord, to not only offer up praise to you with our lips, but also with our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 11, Paul writes, If then you were raised with Christ. If then. So are you there? Were you raised with Christ? If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Therefore, Put to death your members, which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, in which you yourselves once walked. You used to live like that when you lived in them. But now you yourselves are to put off all of these. Listen to the list. You're in Christ, right? If then you were raised with Christ, now you yourselves are to put off all these things. Anger. Wrath. Malice. Blasphemy. Filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him, whether there, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all in all. So put off the old man, put on the new man is what it means to follow Christ. 
Take off the dirty clothes and put on the clean clothes. You are one, you are one kind of person. You were one kind of person, but now you're a new kind of person in Christ. It is about change and growth, about going from infancy to maturity. You are progressing and becoming more and more like Christ. And so we come to this table at the beginning of each week to remember that, to start fresh, to make progress. And so I invite you to recall God's plan, to remember His truth, to rely upon His Spirit, and to look unto Jesus. O Lord, give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Fill us with bold and courageous faith that we might trust you and move. Grant us to see that our earthly hope is in the gospel of Christ, that we might act now to build and advance your kingdom. Enable us to obey your call that we might actively evangelize the nations. And so we pledge to preach the word and to be instant in season and out of season, to reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine, indeed to teach men and nations all things whatsoever you have commanded. In this world there are those who do oppose the Lamb, but the Lamb shall overcome them, for he is the King of kings and Lord of lords. And they that are with him are called and chosen and faithful. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Father, the world we know is without excuse but not without hope. The nations weary themselves in vain. Help us, Lord, to take the message, the good news, that sin can be forgiven and removed, that we might know the liberty of no longer being separated from you or one another, but united in Christ. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea, because the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Father, bless now our communion with one another at our dinner table, the fellowship. Grant us rest today, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and our God and Father, who has loved us and given us an everlasting consolation and good hope by grace, comfort your hearts and establish you in every good work and word. Amen. Amen.